Genesis 14, starting in verse 17. It says, after his return, Abraham's return, from the defeat of uh, Cheddar, uh, I don't know how to say that, Cheddar, and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Sheva, that is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest of God Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. And the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the persons, and you take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to the Lord God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. I will take nothing but what the young men have eaten and the share of the men who went with me. Let Anner, Eskel, and Mamre take their share. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. God, we can't meet together as a group of believers this morning without praying for our nation, without praying for people of Texas and the people of Ohio that have suffered such tragedy over the past 24 hours. Lord, we, we lift them up to you. It, it seems almost empty to just say that right now. But there are mothers and brothers and fathers and sisters and, and, and all kinds of people that are without their loved ones right now. And Lord, we, we don't want to ignore that. We pray for them. We pray for our nation. We pray against this uh, spiritual issue in our nation, uh, an obsession with violence and anger, and we pray against that in the name of Jesus. Jesus, would you be Prince of Peace over our nation? Would you heal minds and hearts? Lord, would you do what we can't do and no politician can do and no policy or law can do? Only you can do, Jesus. You can only, you're the only one who can change a person's heart. Lord, we pray right now for a heart change in our nation and in those who would seek to hurt others. Lord, we pray and we lift them up. God, we pray over this word this morning. We want to receive from your word something that could, could affect our lives and transform us and mold us into the image of Jesus. May your word this morning come and chisel and, and mold and shape and form our hearts, and our lives to reflect Jesus. Amen. Amen. Last week, if you were here, we looked at Genesis chapter 13, when Abraham and his nephew Lot parted ways on their journey. And we talked about that a little bit, about how they separated. Abraham was pursuing God and the promise that God had for him, while Lot pursued the comforts and the pleasures of the cities of the Jordan Valley. And they just determined they were going two different directions. So they, they, they parted ways peacefully. And we, that was our whole message last week. But we ended the message last week with the civil war that had broken out in the Jordan Valley. Lot had had. Uh, made camp right there between the cities of the Jordan, and he didn't realize, though, that he was actually setting up camp right in the hotbed of a civil war that was about to take place, and we saw that Lot was taken captive by the enemies of the city of Sodom, and that, that him and his family and people of Sodom were taken captive by their enemy, and that word had reached Abraham that his nephew was in trouble, even after they had parted ways, and that Abraham gathered 318 
15 of his trained men together, and he chases down, this is the beginning of chapter 14, he chases down the enemy in the darkness of night, he defeats the enemy, he wins back his family and the people, other people of Sodom who had been captured, he wins back the material goods and the money and the, 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 the spoils of war that they had taken when they had captured the city, he wins it all back for uh, himself and, and, and rescues those people. And we're picking up the story this morning where Abraham is coming back after winning the victory. You following me so far? Like, that's the kind of the background of where we're at. And it says that as Abraham is journeying back after his major victory, there are a few people who come out to meet him in the road. The scripture says that the king of Sodom was the first one. And the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Sheva, the valley of the kings. Now, we don't know a whole lot about this guy, the kingdom of Sodom. We do know that his name was Bera, B-E-R-A, Bera. And he had several, he and several other leaders of cities in that region had, had come together to form a coalition to rebel against the evil Elamite king. And they had started this war by rebelling against the, the nation of Elam. And he's the one that the Bible said a few verses before we just read that this king of Sodom, even though he started the fight, when the fight got tough and when his city came under attack, the scripture says he ran for the hills. He ran and hid in the mountains while his city was taken captive by the enemy. His city was attacked. His people were taken prisoner. And this king hid for safety. Isn't it funny? How after every victory, everybody wants to be your friend. Isn't it funny? They weren't there to join in the fight with you. They weren't there when you were in the, in the thick of it. When your neck was on the line fighting the battle, you, they weren't anywhere to be found. But as soon as you win, come on, as soon as you win, as soon as things are going good, they come out of the woodwork. They come looking for you. They didn't want to join you in the fight, but they join you in the celebration. Sodom, his city, verse 11 says, this city that, that he rules over and the city that, that Lot had settled nearby and the city that Abraham fought to rescue, it had been completely ransacked. And uh, the verse, verse 11 says, all the wealth and goods of that city had been taken by the enemy and many of the people had been taken by the enemy, including Abraham's family. And we also know that the scripture says that so the city of Sodom was a wicked city that it was full of, Genesis 13, 13 says, great sinners against the Lord. That's a kind of a bad reputation to have when the Bible says your whole city is full of great sinners against the Lord. Just a side note, isn't it interesting that the man of God still went to rescue people who the Bible says were great sinners against the Lord? Isn't that interesting? Isn't that a great picture of the love and the mercy of God? Isn't that an awesome prophetic picture of what Paul would write in Romans 5, 8 when he said, while we were still sinners, while we were still sinning, Christ died for us? See, it's interesting. The man of God still went to rescue people that the Bible says are great sinners against the Lord. But back to the story. It says the king of Sodom went out to meet Abraham in the valley of Sheba. And you know what had to go through Abraham's mind when this guy rode up, right? Oh, now he shows up. Now he's here. 
Way to go. You know, I've already fought your battle for you, and now you want to show up. Now now he's here. Now he's he's coming. Uh, what's going on here? You, you just know this joker, he's just looking for trouble, right? He's just, he, I don't even want anything to do with him. But then it says, right behind the king of Sodom riding up is another king. Riding up behind this king of Sodom is King Melchizedek of the city of Salem. Now, he's a new face. We haven't read anything about him yet. He's only mentioned three times in the entire Bible. We don't know much about him either. But in fact, we do know he had nothing to do with this war that had just taken place. He was from a completely different region, a different city. He was not involved in this whatsoever. But the Bible says that he came out and the king of Salem, Melchizedek, he rode out and he brought bread and wine for Abraham and his people that were with him. And it says that he was a priest of God Most High. So one king rides up wanting to join in the celebration over a victory he didn't win. And the other king rides up bringing food and drink and supplies to refresh tired and weak soldiers and prisoners fresh out of battle. Melchizedek, this new king that we see, his name literally means the king of righteousness the king of righteousness. Melchizedek is the king of the city of Salem, which literally means the city of peace. Melchizedek, king of righteousness, king over the city of peace. The king of righteousness from the city of peace comes to Abraham with bread and wine, with food and drink to restore him after a hard-fought and hard-won victory. And he's not just a righteous king of a peaceful nation. He was a priest, the Bible says, of God Most High, El Elyon, the, the, the highest God. He was this Canaanite man who had somehow managed to stay faithful to the one true God through generations of idolatry and through generations of heathen worship and through generations of evil and debauchery that had taken over that nation. This one man had managed to stay faithful to the one true God. Jewish rabbi when they write about Melchizedek, they say that there was only one person on the face of the earth who was further along the spiritual journey than Abraham was, and it was King Melchizedek. And this priest, this mediator between God and man, this communicator of the divine voice, he came to Abraham, he brought bread and wine, and he blessed Abraham. And he said, blessed be Abram most God, God, by God most high. He is possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And the Bible says that in Abraham, in honor of God and to in honor to the man of God in front of him, he recognizes that only through God could 318 people defeat the strongest nation on earth at the time. And as a tribute, as a thanksgiving offering to the Lord, as a way to return the victory and the blessing God had given him back to God, Abraham tithes his victory back to the Lord. He gives 10% of all that he had won, all of the material things that he had rescued back from the enemy. He gives it back to the Lord. He turns around and he looks at everything that he has been victorious over, all the material things that he won from the enemy, and he gives a tenth of it to the king Melchizedek and honor to God and in worship to God who provided the victory. And God in his providential grace had sent a man to Abraham to remind Abraham who really won the battle. 
See, it's easy when you're on your way out of the victory to forget who won the victory. It's easy to say, oh, I made this myself. I, I did this myself. It's like that if you see a turtle on the top of a fence post, he didn't get there on his own, right? 318 men did not defeat this king and this enemy on their own. God won the victory. When life is going good, don't ever forget where the blessing came from. When you get victory, even if you're wore out after a hard-fought battle, don't ever forget where victory really came from. It is a sign of great maturity to be riding the wave of victory and still be able to give honor and credit where it's due. So after Abraham had given a tenth of everything, he is won back to God through the priest Melchizedek. It's the, king, the other king's turn to speak now, king of Sodom. Look at verse 21. He says, Abraham, you give me the people and you can keep all the stuff. That's, that's the Seth Drury translation of what he said. You give me all the people, you keep all the stuff you want. And on the surface... That's a very honorable thing that this king is doing. He's saying, you fought a battle that I couldn't or wouldn't fight. You won it fair and square. You just keep everything. That's your payment for the victory that you won. But Abraham has a moment of extreme wisdom here in the story. And he doesn't give in to this request or this, this blessing from the king of Sodom. Look at verse 22. He says, I lifted my hand to the Lord. And I have promised that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say, I made Abraham rich. Abraham is basically saying, I can't take so much as a shoestring from you. You are not my provider. You are not my source. If I take this money, it'll be like me taking credit for what happened today, that I deserve this. I didn't fight this battle for money. I didn't fight it for fame or glory. There's no way that me and my little group on our own could have made this victory. God won this victory for me. We didn't win this victory. And if I take your money, it'll be like the king of Sodom saying that people will say that the king of Sodom blessed me, that I won because of how I, I fought so hard and I did the right thing because I thought something was coming my way. But I know that really God is at work in all of this. I know that God is the source of my blessing. I know that God is the source of my victory. He's like, don't get twisted on this. I will only serve one master. I can't accept this money from you and be your servant because I'm on a journey serving the God that has spoken to me and I heard his voice. See, I think if we had been there, we would have maybe heard Abraham implying to this king saying, hey, king of Sodom, maybe you should also maybe give a little something to the Lord because if it hadn't been for God, you'd be a king without a kingdom. If it hadn't been for God, you'd be still hiding in the hills somewhere. If it hadn't been for the Lord doing this, if it hadn't been for the Lord winning this victory, you would be hopeless. Maybe you should return the gift back to the Lord. See, the scripture hadn't been written yet, but Abraham knew what Moses knew in Deuteronomy when he said, for the Lord your God is the one who goes with you, and he will fight against your enemies, and he will give you victory. The scripture hadn't been written yet, but he knew that Proverbs would one day say, the horse is prepared for battle, but victory belongs to the Lord. Abraham says, I'll take nothing but what I've eaten, what I've had to absolutely take. I don't want it communicated. I don't want it insinuated. I don't want any rumors started that I relied on a wicked city of a wicked king to bless me. I don't want it ever said that I relied on another human being to be my provider. God is my provider. 
And that's the end of the story. It doesn't say anything else. It moves on to a totally different subject after verse 22, 23. This story of two kings that meet Abraham in the road, coming home from victory. Two kings representing two very different kingdoms, offering Abraham two very different things. And the question that Abraham had to answer that day was, which king's going to influence me? Which kingdom am I a part of? Which king is going to direct me and lead me? See, we've been on this journey in Genesis looking at the steps of faith in Abraham's life and applying them to ourselves, learning from his journey of faith to feed our own journey of faith. And we've looked at the, the first step, answering God's call and hearing God's voice. And if you're here today and you've never taken that first step, you don't have to leave here today without taking the first step of just beginning a walk with Jesus. And then we saw that first step that everyone, everyone, whether you're not a follower of Jesus yet or you've been following Jesus for 50 years, whether you're not very spiritual or you eat manna for breakfast, everyone, everyone has a next step in their walk of faith. And here at the altar today, when we're going to worship at the altar, I want you to examine your life and examine your walk of faith and decide what the Lord is leading you in to be your next step. And then we even looked at Abraham when he slipped up on his walk, when he failed, when he made a mistake, when he took the wrong step. And we saw how merciful and graceful God was even when Abraham made a mistake on the journey. Last week, we looked at steps of faith, and we looked at following God's voice, answering his call, and we saw that oftentimes a step of faith includes stepping away from some things or some people who are not helping us on our journey. We looked at how that even when people choose to not go in the same direction as us, that we still step out and we still live in peace with them. We still follow the example of Abraham living at peace with those who don't go on the journey with us. And here's what I hope we're getting from all of this. And I know we're kind of reviewing, but I, I hope you're getting this. Every step of faith is a choice. Every step of faith is a conscious decision. Abraham had a choice whether to stay home or to follow the voice that called him. Abraham had a choice. How am I going to handle this threat against my life in Egypt? Abraham had a choice. Am I going to let Lot hold me back or am I going to continue on the journey even if someone won't go with me? Abraham had a choice of whether to enter the battle to rescue his family or to sit back in judgment and point fingers. He had a choice at every step of the journey. So every step is a choice, but also every step of faith is an opportunity. Every step is an opportunity. See, if you're choosing to stay on the journey, if you're uh, taking steps of faith to follow God's plan for your life, you will from time to time reach those crossroads, reach that fork in the road, and you have a choice, but that choice is an opportunity. It's an opportunity for you and I to grow closer in our relationship with Lord, the Lord. It's an opportunity for you and I to trust God with more of our life. It's an opportunity to develop more intimacy with our Creator. It's an opportunity to receive blessing from the Lord. They are opportunities to be stretched and to grow in our spiritual maturity. 
And we all have these defining moments. We all have those, those points of decision. And sometimes those points of decision are difficult. And sometimes both options look attractive. We all have those crises moments when we have to make a choice. But what if we stopped looking at those forks in the row or those, those crossroads or those choices? We stopped looking at them as problems and instead looked at them as opportunities to become more like Jesus. What if the choice in front of us, what if the problem in front of us, what if the next step you're facing in your life isn't just a choice or a difficulty, it's an opportunity? So far, Abraham, he's had many tests of his faith, many, many conflicts, and he's won a significant victory for his family. And when the battle is over, Abraham gets confronted by two different kings. And this meeting of royalty in the valley becomes a moment of choice, a moment of opportunity for Abraham to decide, who am I going to be? Who am, who's, what's my reputation going to be? What's the example I'm leaving behind for those who are watching me and my family? See, because both kings offer something to Abraham. Both kings receive something from Abraham. And both kings represent a choice that Abraham had to make, an opportunity to take the next step in his walk with God. These two kings represent a choice that every believer will have to face at some point or another. Here, Abraham is confronted with the choice how he, as a man of God, is going to relate to the world around him. Last week, we looked at how sometimes we have the choice of who we're going to allow into our life and the people and the relationships that we're going to allow into our life. This week, Abraham has to not choose what people he's going to allow into his life, but what stuff he's going to allow into his life. What kind of worldly influence he's going to allow into his life. See, the kingdom of Sodom represents a life of friendship with the world a life of reliance on the natural world to be your source. But King Melchizedek represents a life of faithful stewardship and reliance on God to be your source and your provider. The king of Sodom is thoroughly enmeshed in a worldly economic system, worshiping at the feet of lifeless idols and the worst of human sinfulness. It's interesting to me that he is the king of Sodom. That word Sodom, and I know it has all kinds of implications in today's world and our English language, but the, word, the Hebrew word Sodom, its root word is violence. This man is a cowardly king of a city of violence. He's the king who runs when his city's under attack, even though he started the fight. But when he comes to meet Abraham in the victory, what does he say? He comes, this, this king that represents a worldly system of, of greed and violence and sinfulness, he comes to Abraham and he says, give me the people, I'll give you the money. Because the world will always promise riches and pleasure, but it will demand your life. The world will always promise you riches and pleasures, but it will demand life. Abraham, if you'll just compromise with me a little bit, I'll give you everything you ever needed or ever dreamed of. Isn't that the same temptation that Satan gave Jesus? If you'll just be satisfied giving up the souls of your loved ones to me, I'll give you everything you ever needed or ever wanted. 
Abraham sees, though, that the way of the world, the way of Sodom, the way of violence and sin, it never makes good on its promises. It promises treasure and pleasure, but all it really does is turns you into the man hiding in a cave, cowering from the fight. Abraham says, I can't stay on this journey. I can't keep on this path. I can't take the steps of faith God is calling me to do and receive from the world my provision. to allow a kingdom of the world to influence my life and my decisions and what battles I fight and what, what, what steps I take. The choice is clear. He says, I know who my provider really is. I know who truly won the victory for me. I know who my redeemer is. You know, old saints used to sing that old gospel spiritual. It said, my soul looked back and wonder." how I made it over. Abraham knew how he made it over. Abraham knew how he won the victory. He knew exactly what happened. He knew that God was his supplier, was his provider. God was his victor. And the choice for Abraham was, the choice that you and I have is, which kingdom are we going to follow? Which kingdom are we going to allow to provide for us? Which kingdom are we going to allow to be the source in our lives? The kingdom of sin and violence or a king of peace and righteousness. Abraham makes the choice. He says, I'm going to live for the king of peace and righteousness. That's where my allegiance is. And he does something of immense spiritual maturity and obedience, and he goes to the man of God and he presents a tithe, 10% of everything he has back to God. He gives to God back what God has given to him. It's a message that, you know, th- this isn't necessarily a, a message about tithing. This is just the next story in the scripture that I was at. But it's important to deal with this spiritual discipline because this is the first time in scripture that tithing is ever mentioned, that giving the first 10% back to God is ever mentioned. We've seen before in Genesis where offerings were made to the Lord, Cain and Abel made offerings, different things like that. But this is the first time that we see someone making a conscious decision to take the first 10% of what they have received and give it back to the Lord. And at its most basic level, this discipline of giving back to God, this first 10%, it's a sign of you saying that you have come to realize who your true provider is. You've come to realize that everything you own, everything you have, everything that you've been blessed with, it already belongs to God anyway. Tithing is a simple act of worship that tells God he truly is Lord and master over everything in your entire life, that you trust him with your most basic needs, that you trust him with all that you have, that everything that you hold in your hand, you hold it loosely, and it's his to do with what he wills. See, I want you to understand something. We haven't taught really on tithing here. Tithing is not a heaven or a hell issue. You cannot buy your way into heaven by giving in the offering. And there's nowhere in the scripture that says if you don't give that you're going to hell. Okay, that's not what we're talking about. It's not a heaven or hell issue, but it is a growth issue. It is a maturity issue. It's a discipleship issue. It's a lordship issue. And I want to encourage you today, and this might be a big step, but we're talking about steps of faith. This might be a big step, but I want you to examine your life your finances and decisions you make with your material blessings in your life? And are you honoring God with your material possessions? Are you taking that step of faith and saying, God, I'm going to trust you with the 10% because I know that if I do that, you'll bless the 90% left over. 
as a Christian, have I made Jesus Lord and Master over every part of my life, including my wallet, including my bank account, including how the choices I make and the money that I spend? Does he have full authority to lead me and guide me in deciding what to do with the things he has blessed me with? That's what Abraham is saying here. He's saying Sodom doesn't get to choose how I do my life. Sodom doesn't get to choose how I spend my money. Sodom doesn't get to choose how I how I bless people, what I respond to. It doesn't get to choose how I what I purchase, what I what I do with my material possessions. Only God, only the king of peace, only the king of righteousness gets to decide what I do with the things in my life. Abraham, he gives the first 10% back to God in a worshipful act of saying, God, I wouldn't have any of this if it wasn't for you blessing my life. If it weren't for you, I'd still be sitting in my father's idol-making shop, making minimum wage. Father, you've given me my life, and you've given it abundantly. All that I have is yours, and I'm going to return back to you what you've blessed me with. See, we don't tithe because God needs it. God doesn't need it. We don't tithe because the church needs it. The church will continue whether you give your money or not. We'll find a way. There's churches all over the world that are sitting in huts with no air conditioning, and there are victorious churches. I don't need that. This church doesn't need it. You need it. You need to take this step. Is it a fundraising issue or anything like that? This is a personal issue. And the wonderful thing is that God promises us that when we trust him with that little bit, he will bless what's left over that he will multiply it, and that he will provide every single one of our needs, and he will give us more than we ask for. Katie and I, before we ever got married, we both were tithers before we got married, but we made a decision. We will never, ever not give to the Lord. Our family ties every week, and we have seen God do miraculous things over the past two years in our life. I mean miraculous things. Money doesn't add up. Things don't add up. I'm not saying we give to receive. I'm just saying that when you give, God takes care of you. That's just a part of the message, and it's a little aside, but it's part of the story, and I wanted to deal with it. My favorite part of this story, though, is not what Abraham gives to the king. It's what the king gives to Abraham. Abraham has just fought a hard battle. He's just faced difficulty. Probably some of his closest friends have died on the battlefield. He's seen a bloody war, and yes, he got the victory, but it wasn't easy. Yes, he he made it out, but it was difficult. It was hard. They hadn't had a shower yet. They hadn't even cleaned up yet. They're just trying to get home after winning this victory, and a king comes out to meet them, a king of righteousness representing a kingdom of peace, and he comes out with bread and wine. See, this king that Abraham runs into in the valley, he was a real king. He was a man. But the scripture uses this story to foreshadow the coming of the Lord Jesus to foreshadow that life's hard, but you can always count on the king of peace from the kingdom of righteousness to provide for you and to sustain you, to fulfill you. One king came out and he said, you can have the money. Another king came out and he said, I'll feed you. I'll take care of you. I'll give you what you need. That's who Jesus is for us. 
We reorganized this service specifically for this reason. I did not want to communicate that we give the tithe so that we can receive the bread and the wine. I wanted to communicate he offers the bread and wine freely. And our response back is to give him our entire life. That's the message of this, this story. Many of us face on a daily basis the choice which kingdom is going to rule in our hearts. And it's very easy to slip into relying on a kingdom of, of, of greed and sinfulness and violence to dictate our choices and our behavior. You don't believe me, just turn on cable news today. They will get you mad. They will get you aggravated. They'll get you irritable. All of that, all of that is just Sodom. It's just trying to feed into and get you to let that thing dictate your outlook on life. But we have chosen to follow the king of righteousness and the kingdom of peace. We're citizens of a different kind of kingdom. A kingdom where before we ever offer anything to him, he offers us his broken body and his spilled blood. Would you stand with me, please? Rachel, we're just going to play that playlist that's on there. We were ve I was very particular about how we were going to plan this service. I did not want it communicated that we give to God and buy our way into heaven or anything like that. We have received the bread and the wine today. We have received the body and blood of Jesus. If you are not a Christian, it is your opportunity right now to say, I'm going to surrender to the Lordship of Jesus. I'm going to receive from his flesh and from his blood that was broken and poured out for me. I need his grace and his forgiveness. You can do that. But I'm looking around the room, and I know most of you, and I, and I know that all of you have had some opportunity in your past in your life to make that commitment. Now, our job is to respond with our worship. We worship God in response to what he has done, in response to who he is. So I'm going to ask you, we're going to just, there, I want Katie and I to be able to participate in this as well. And so we're, we're not going to have a, any worship up here on the platform but I want to encourage you to step out. And I know this is maybe a little different, but we're going to leave our offering at the altar for the Lord. We're going to give whatever the Lord has laid on you to, your heart to give. If you're a tither, come and give your tithe and lay it at the altar for the Lord. Not because you're buying anything from him, but because you're worshiping him in response to what he has already done for you. If you have never committed to giving the first 10% to the Lord, I want to encourage you to do that today. To say, you know what? Before I pay any other bill, I'm going to bless the Lord and I'm going to honor him in my local church. And I promise you, God will bless you. This is how much I believe in this. I'm going to get in trouble here. If you're not a tither and you commit for the next 12 months to giving your first 10% to the Lord, and if at the end of that 12 months, you don't feel like God has blessed you, I'll find a way to make sure you get your money back. That's how much I believe in this. 
I, I guarantee you God will bless you. I'm not saying you're going to get a bigger paycheck or anything like that, but I'm saying you will see that as you surrender your life over to his lordship in every area of your life, he will bless you and he will take care of you, and I believe that, and that's how much I believe in it. I want to encourage you to take that step today if you haven't before. But more than that, I want you to offer your life to him right now.